0: Prayer is how you release authority. When you are making faith declarations, you are releasing authority. By virtue of our union with Christ, we receive this authority. The order of God is that if you are not under authority, you cannot wield authority. We have this authority permanently with us. And the reason is because we have the same status as the Lord Jesus. If authority is released by words, then it means that silence is unaffordable. The word of God is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Be blessed today as God's servant, Reverend Peter Ayo Alabi, brings you God's word. Carry your Bible in your hand this morning as we go into the teaching of the word. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. And I want to turn your Bibles to the book of James chapter 5 And we're going to read from verse 16 to 18 On our feet If you have a good Bible and you have a good command Of English, be bold to read Loud and clear James chapter 5 from verse 16 to 18 What you read everybody Confess your faults one to another And pray one for another That ye may be healed The effectual fire and prayer Of a righteous man availeth much Elias was a man subject to like passions, as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth food. Last week Sunday, I started this teaching titled "The Authority of the Believer in Prayer," and I'm going to teach the second part. For you. And so last week Sunday, I laid foundation for this teaching by showing us. That the Lord Jesus Christ received authority from the Father and he has transferred that authority to us. Authority can be transferred. Authority can be transferred. That's what many people call delegated authority. All right, that is what is called delegated authority. That is, authority is transferable. Authority is transferable. And last week, all right, we saw how authority is transferred. Or another word we can use is conferred. It is conferred by words. We saw how the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Father conferred authority on him. We saw from Romans, the first chapter, reading from verse 3 to 4, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from from the dead. He was declared to be the son of God. He was declared to be the son of God. And I told us last week that that sonship is where the authority was conferred. And that was something that happened on the day of resurrection. That on that day of resurrection, what God did was he made a pronouncement. A judicial declaration. Thou art my son. Did you see today have I begotten thee. You will see that we, we read the references to that. From Hebrews, the first chapter and the fifth verse. For unto which of the angels said he at any time. So we understand there was a point in time where he said these words. That thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And so you see that I read in the Amplified Classic, the same Hebrews 1 verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say? You are my son, today have I begotten you, established you in an official sonship relation with kingly dignity. So the Amplified Classic helps us to see what he really did. That It wasn't just that he called him son on that day because he was from the Jewish custom. When a son gets to the age of 30, it is expected in the Jewish custom that that son should have mastered his father's trade. And so what the father does is that he presents that his son to the public, And in doing so, he introduces him to people by saying, this is my son. And that proclamation is not to say he was not his son before. It was actually to declare that he is now of age. And I can trust him to recommend him to you that he can now represent me. That's what it means. And so when the Bible tells us here that God made this declaration concerning Jesus... This declaration is referring to the day of his resurrection from the dead. That is, it was an official declaration of sonship, or a declaration of official sonship. So it means that sonship was there by birth, but there is the official declaration of it, which actually demonstrates capacity, demonstrates the fact that authority has now been transferred to this son. And that's what God did for the Lord Jesus on the day of his resurrection. You remember in Philippians, the second chapter, from verse 5 to 9, let this man be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God, the Bible says, thought it not robbery, to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon the form of a servant, became a man, took upon human flesh, for the one reason for him to be obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Verse 9 says, wherefore God also has highly exalted him. And that is actually what he's still referring to in Hebrews 1, 5 where the father officially declared the son, did you see, to be in charge. And you'll notice in Hebrews 5, verse 5 as well, it says, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, thou art my son. So you notice even that declaration affects his priestly ministry. Today, he said, I have or have I begotten thee. Hallelujah. You also go in Psalms chapter 2. Psalms, the second chapter, and we read from verse 6 to 7. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So you notice these references in scripture. The father declared his son, did you see, to be in charge. In John chapter 5, I want to call your attention to that. We did not see that. Uh, so much last week, glory to God. Verse 22 to verse 23. We see in John 5, the Lord Jesus made this pronouncement. For the father judgeth no man, Jesus said, but hath committed all judgment unto the son. Did you see that now? He says the father has committed all judgment to the son. And that is the meaning of transferring the authority there. He says the father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son, that all men should honor the son. Even as they honor the Father. He that honoured not the Son, honored not the Father which had sent him. And you must understand the protocol of spiritual authority in God's kingdom, so that if you dishonor the one to whom authority is transferred, you have dishonored the one who transferred the authority to him. That's what Jesus is saying in John 5:22 and 23. He said that God committed judgment to his son. In other words, transferred the jurisdiction and authority to him. To commit all judgment means he has put him in charge. And he said, he did this so that all men will honor the Son. And he says, anyone who doesn't honor the Son has not honored the Father. You must understand that chain of command in God's protocol continues to trickle down. That anyone that the Son also sent must be honored the way the Son is honored. To not honor the ones that the Son sent is to not honor the Son who sent them. And by proxy, to not also honor the Father who sent the Son. So it's a chain. Tell your neighbor, say, it's a chain. Another one you're wearing on your neck now. I'm talking about a chain of command. Hallelujah. And so you understand in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 19, And Jesus came and spake unto them after he rose from the dead, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Look at that. All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Do you remember there in Philippians 2, verse 9? He said, Wherefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, I told you last week, he didn't say at the mention. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in earth, of things under the earth. So we see the jurisdiction of his authority. Do you see? Heaven and earth. He said in, in Matthew 28, all power in heaven and on earth. In Philippians, he says things underneath the earth, things on the earth, things in the heaven. I'll show you again in Ephesians, the first chapter, we're going to see the jurisdiction of the Lord Jesus Christ again upon his resurrection. In Ephesians, the first chapter, Paul is praying for the Ephesian Christians, and by extension, the prayer covers us. Somebody say, that prayer covers me. Say, it covers my family. It covers all my loved ones who are in Christ. So Paul, we skip to verse 19, and he says that, you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us what who believe, According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, and last week I showed you the five Greek words that were used in these verses. And how many of you remember? I want to see how intelligent you are and how serious you are with your Christian life. Hallelujah. Uh, so there were five Greek words I taught you last week. Perhaps you've used it to eat about. Praise God. So I will remind you and this time, make sure you put it in your left hand so that when you're eating at home, you don't eat with it. So I told you about what? Dunamis, Energia, Kratos, Iskos, Energio. Wow, brilliant people in here and some who are claiming to be. Now look at your neighbor from here this morning and re- reel out those five Greek words together at the same time. Tell your neighbor, say we are doing it at the same time. One, two, three, Go. Some of you, your neighbor is just chopping mouths. In fact, some of you, the easy way to cop out of this is to speak in tongues. You know, my, your man, no man, no And we looked at those words last week, very instructive. Consult your notes, all right, for further explanations so that we can move on this morning. And so you notice he says in verse 20 or 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, And every name that is named, not only in this world, so he's telling us jurisdiction, but also in that which is to come. And I put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. So notice there it tells us the authority of the head of the body is also implicated in the body. In other words, the authority given to Jesus, the head, also belongs to his body. You cannot separate his head from his body. So the authority of Jesus, the head of the church, is also in the body of Jesus, the head of the church. You've got to understand that. That's why I said earlier, you cannot separate your body from your head. God forbid that when we close service today, you try to let your head leave here and leave your body behind. That's not going to happen. Did you see that? Because the body and the head are one and the same. And we saw that last week, First Corinthians, the sixth chapter, the seventeenth verse. He said, "He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him." So we have authority in Christ by virtue of our union with Christ. We receive this authority. So Jesus, the head of the church, has this authority that covers heaven and earth and things underneath the earth that covers this world and the world that is to come. What that means is that authority is limitless. The jurisdiction of this authority Is boundless Is boundless Glory to God He's boundless We have authority over things on earth We have authority over things Underneath the earth We have authority over things in the heavens We have authority over things in this world We have authority over things In the world to come Our authority is boundless Somebody say boundless Oh glory I tell you that ought to make you shy. Did you put on your shouting clothes today? Did you come with your shouting clothes today? Somebody say, I've got authority! (laughs) I tell you, these are the things that makes us bold. That makes us confident. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They make us confident when we're singing that song earlier on, in the name of Jesus, I have authority over every sickness, over every disease. You see, those are songs you got to sing, memorize them, because as you sing them, you're making yourself more conscious of that reality. The things of the Spirit respond to consciousness. I'm conscious, I carry authority. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And I told you last week that authority is also released and exercise through words. You see, words are powerful. And uh, if you follow our teachings over time, you notice I've taught you concerning faith and faith confessions, that the primary use of words is not for communication. The primary use of words is not just to have conversations with people. And that is evidenced in the first use of words that we ever saw in mankind or in existence of man. Or in existence of the world. Genesis chapter 1 verse 3. And God said, light be. Or as the King James renders it, let there be light. And there was light. The original says, light be and light was. Those were the first words ever spoken into time. It's amazing to note that when God said those words, he wasn't having a conversation. So the first time words were spoken on earth, they were not used for communication. They were used to exact authority. Light be and light was. Light be and light was. In scriptures, there's what is called the law of first mention. Meaning the first time something is used or done is instructive of the purpose of that thing and how it will be used further down the line. So the first use of words is not for conversation. The primary use of words is to command, to release power. To exercise authority. And we saw God using his authority to create. To create things. You've got to understand that when he said in Genesis 1.26. Let us make man in our image. And after a likeness. The first thing is said is let him have dominion. The way you rule is by words. Kings rule by their words. Kings rule by what they say. Oh, glory to God. There was There were times growing up as a minister. Early days of ministry. I would only teach this just because I knew it in the Bible. Today, I'm not just teaching because I know it in the Bible. I experience it. Literally. Are you hearing what I'm saying? As I'm saying it, I feel the power of God in my words. Words are not just for communication. We speak to release power. 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 And I tell you, as I'm speaking to you this morning, the power of God is coming to you. The life of God is coming to you. If you came here sick, God's power is healing your body. God's power is healing your mind. God's power is healing your bones. Be healed in your body. Be healed in your bones. Be healed in your mind in the name of Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. <laughs> When we speak, the devil knows there's trouble for him. Mark 11, 23, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, He said, Whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, And shall not doubt in his heart, But, thank you, Jesus, But shall believe that those things which he saith Shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever, he saith. He didn't say he might. He said he shall. He shall. I have what I say. Maybe next week, I will show you the picture of a fig tree. Because most of the time, when we talk about what happened in Mark 11, and we, you know, because he spoke to the fig tree, Mark 11:14, No man eaten fruit from the for them forever. Nine words. Nine words. Just nine words. The following day, they saw the fig tree had dried up to the roots a fig tree is not just one small tree like a purple it's a very massive tree remember God said he went uh, uh, I'm trying to remember what country in the, in the Middle East and they went to a restaurant they call it a fig tree restaurant the restaurant was covered by one fig tree the entire restaurant the fig tree is a very big tree imagine Jesus spoke nine words to a massive tree nine words and immediately he began to draw from the roots by the following day it withered completely, it was completely dead. Nine words. They do wonder Jesus looked at them when they marveled. Verse 20 the fig tree with the master crossed is withered, it's dried up from the roots. The Bible said, Jesus now told them, have faith in God. For very I say unto you 23, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. So he said, You know what? This will not only work on the fig tree, it will work on anything even something as big as a mountain. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? And he said, if you will say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and you will not doubt it in your heart, but you will believe that what you're saying is going to come to pass. You will have it. That is, you will see it come to pass. Why will the words walk on the mountain? Because the mountain was made out of words. The reason why his word walks on the mountain is because the mountain came from words. Everything responds to its source. Hey, somebody hear what I'm saying this morning. Everything responds to its source. Kabaya. Everything responds to its source. Everything responds to its source. If it came from words, words will control it. That's the future. God bless you. God bless you. Do you see it? You see how big that thing is? And you know what? Every part of it responded to what Jesus said. It's not the word that it, it wasn't like one part was still blossoming. No, that's why they said they described and said it dried up from the roots. From the roots means if something is if the, the something affects the root, whatever affects the roots affects every part of the tree. As big as it is, Jesus didn't have to be speaking to every leaf one after the other. No, when he spoke, the word went to the roots. And every part of the tree is connected to the root. So everything had to dry up and wither. And that's because even the tree also came from what? From words. When you read in Genesis, that is how God created everything. He spoke them into existence. Whatever was created by words will respond to words. And the last time I check, that is everything. In the beginning was the word, John chapter 1, from verse 1. And the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So it means everything that you see was made by words. And they would therefore respond to words. So the first use of words was to release power. To create. To affect things. And that world is still working right now. Because in Hebrews 1 3, he says, He sustains all things by the word of His power. All things are sustained by the word of His power. And that is what we're looking at as we talk and teach and explain about the authority of the believer in prayer. Touch your neighbor for me this morning and say, I have this authority. And you may be seated. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. And So you understand therefore that we must always consciously use words for the same purpose. Because the way to exercise authority is through words. You cannot exercise authority in silence. You cannot exercise authority in silence. If you are going to exercise authority, you will have to open your mouth and speak words if you are going to exercise authority you are going to have to open your mouth and speak words and speak words so you understand how the father conferred this authority on the son and the son conferred the same authority on us and understand that we are sons just like Jesus is the son we saw it last week sunday first john chapter 3 verse 1 behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the word knoweth us not because it knew him not. So we are sons like Jesus is the son. And so we wield the authority of the Son of God on this earth. And so you see the Lord Jesus in Luke 10:19, even before he went to the cross, showed us that authority is transferable. He said to his disciples, Behold, Luke 1019, I give unto you power. And the word is exousia, authority. To tread on serpents and scorpions and overhaul the power of the enemy. And nothing, Jesus said, shall by any means hurt you. Did you see that? So Jesus gave them that authority. And you notice that even before the cross, the disciples walked in that authority. When you read further that in Luke chapter 10, they came back rejoicing because demons were subject to them in his name. And that tells you there what snakes and scorpions referred to. It was a figurative expression because he told them, that you will trample upon snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by enemies hurt you. And when they came back in context, they showed us what the snakes and the scorpions were. He said even the devils were subject to us in your name. And Jesus told them, he said, yeah, I saw the devil fall like lightning. So when you see snakes and scorpions there in Luke ten nineteen, he's referring to the devil and he's referring to demons. The Lord Jesus gave them that authority. They used it and it worked for them. But glory to God and the new creation, we have this authority permanently with us. And the reason is because we have the same status as the Lord Jesus. And I like to say it this way, we have equal position and therefore equal possession. We have equal position and therefore equal possession. The position of Christ is sonship. Our position today is also sonship. And therefore what he possesses, we also possess. And in seeing the example of how authority is released by words, we see the centurion in Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, verse 8, he said, For I also am a man set under authority. You need to set the timer. What is he showing me is the clock. Alrighty, praise God. So you set the timer for me. And so you notice there, he says, For I also am a man set under authority, which is the word exousia, Having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. The man is trying to show and describe how authority is released. And he says, the way I release authority is I speak words. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. I told you the meaning of that statement when he said, I'm a man under authority. What he was simply saying is that I'm a man vested with authority. I'm a man who carries authority. I'm a man who is used to authority. I wield it and I'm also submitted to it. And you see that in the Amplified Classic. He says, Luke 7, 8, Amplified Classic, For I also am a man daily subject to authority. (laughs) I'm a man daily subject to authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my bond servant, do this, and he does it. The man says, hey, I have men under me, and I'm also under some men. He shows you there that the way you will function in authority is for you to understand those two positions. You must be under authority, and you must also understand where you are in authority. I'll say it again. Two things you've got to understand, therefore, as a believer, is that you must, first of all, be under authority. Be under authority. And then understand that you can also command authority. I'll show you that quickly in James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and the 6th verse. And you see Apostle James giving his admonition to us believers. He says, submit. But he giveth first of all, verse 6 and then we'll go to 7. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the but Give it grace unto the humble. 7. Submit yourselves. Therefore, to God. Look at that. We are under authority. Did you see that? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Then the next thing it says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So notice, we are under the authority. Then the second position is that we are also in authority. And the order of God is that if you are not under authority, you cannot wield authority. I'll say that again. If you are not under authority, you cannot wield authority. If you are not under authority, you cannot wield authority. At any time where you resist the devil and he doesn't flee, one of the things you've got to check is your own submission. Notice the word of the Lord here, James 4:7. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and the devil will flee. But notice the order. You must ensure you are in submission to God. The submission to God is in the submission to the authority of God that he has established on the earth. And you've got to get that clear. And so you understand, you, you must put yourself under the authority of God. The authority of God is... All around us, beginning in the local church. The authority of the, of the leadership of the local church, the pastor. The authority is also in the home. In the home, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, he said, wives submit to your own husbands. In the same Ephes- Ephesians chapter 5, I beg your pardon. In Ephesians 6, 1, he says, children obey your parents. So you see authority in the home. Wives submit to husband. Children submit to your parents. There is authority everywhere. In the place of work, there is authority. You see, the Bible tells in Ephesians 6 that servants should be obedient to their masters. Those are the lang- that was the word, the language they used in Bible times. Today, in our parlance, you would say, employees, be submitted to your employers. It's in scriptures. So there's no sort of thing as, I'm a believer. So when I get to work, my boss is not a believer. So I have dominion over him. No, you don't. No, you don't. At work, your boss is the one you submit to in the context of your workplace. At home... Your husband, if you're a woman, is the one you submit to in the context of the home. That is the order of God. And you know it's possible for the wife in the home to be the boss at work. If, for example, your wife is the CEO of a company and you work there as a director, in that office she is your boss, you submit to her. And when you get home, she is your wife, she submits to you. The lines are clear. You see, for you to be a man in that situation and say, Well, you're my wife. And so I don't care whether you're CEO. When we get to work, you still submit to me. You are unruly if you do that. You are unruly if you do that. It is also possible for your wife to be a leader in the church, whereas you are a member of our team. So imagine if your wife is the head of the hospitality team, and then you are a member of the hospitality team. In that hospitality team, she is your leader. You submit to her. When you get home, you resume your work as the husband. Somebody say amen to that. And that's why you see wisdom is the understanding of difference. You must know the difference. You must understand the difference. So if your wife is the leader of your team, and she declared a fast for your team, and you refuse to eat at home, I mean, or you refuse to fast at home, you know, you can as a man. You shouldn't do that. But you can as a man. When your wife has declared a fast on your team, you can get home and and tell her and say, Hey, baby. I want to eat this morning. Now, she doesn't have any power in your home to force you to fast. Because in the home now, you are the husband. You are the head. She submits to you. But she can suggest to you and remind you and say, "Uh, Ah, brother Elvis. uh, But but I, I told everybody to fast. Now, brother Elvis is in his jurisdiction. And he can choose to disobey in that confines and say to her, My wife, I am the head of this family. Give me my food. Yem food now. Yem breakfast. And eat his food. There's nothing she can do about it. But she can do something when she gets to her own turf. And what she can do is that when you get to church on Sunday, in the stewards' meeting or your team meeting, you say, Brother, I have a stand up. Say, so be on your feet now, brother Elvis. He is no longer Mister. Whatever your son' name is, Elvis. Can you be on your feet? Uh, last week, in my capacity as the head of this team, I gave an instruction to everybody to fast. But it has come to my notice, <laughs> from your wife, <laughs> that you refused to fast and you ate at home. So therefore, I sanction you to six hours prayer now. <laughs> This is what I'm saying now, because you need to understand the difference. The authority of God is everywhere. So it's in the home, it's in the workplace, it's in the local church. It is also in government, in society. Romans 13, let all souls be subject to the higher powers. He said, for there is no power except those which are ordained of God. And we are commanded to subject ourselves to them. You don't break the traffic light. When you break the traffic light, you did not just disobey Loma. or oh, is it Loma? Sorry, last man. And that's why you see usually if you break the traffic light, if they can get you. Then you see last man coming around. You know the plural of last man is last man. Praise God. And they're coming from all the angles like cockroaches. Glory to God. And they're coming to deal with you and teach you a lesson in home trading. Praise God. You don't want to be caught by them. Hallelujah. This is what I'm saying now. And so you understand. When you do that, when you break the traffic light, you did not just disobey last man. You're disobeying God. You're disobeying God. Because you see, in Romans 13, it tells us that the authority of the government is ordained of God. It doesn't mean God particularly picks the person that stands in that office. What it simply means is that that office represents God's authority. And that's the reason why when elections come, it doesn't matter who you voted for, whether your candidate won or not. The moment a person is sworn into the office of the president, we are commanded to honor him. In the same way, it doesn't matter what your dad or mom has done, For you are done in their lives that has hurt you. The moment a person occupies the place of father and mother, you are commanded, Ephesians 6, to honor them. To honor them. And you must understand that we must see the authority of God in men. You must see the authority of God in men. People's lives get broken because of this simple principle they do not understand. People's lives are messed up because they do not understand these simple things. To break God's authority in government, in society... You break God's authority in the place of work. You're cheating your boss. He's going to come back to haunt you. He's going to come back to haunt you. And so you must understand the authority of God is everywhere. So if you must wield authority, you must submit to authority. Submit to God, James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee. The devil is a lawless person. And when he sees lawlessness in your life, he emboldens him to come into your life and wreak havoc in your life. Don't give the devil that room. And the good news is that if you're giving that room to the devil, you can take it back. You can take it back by submitting yourself just as the word of God commands us. And so you see, the centurion showed us how authority is released. How read to you also? Luke 7, 8 in the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation very, very explicit. He says, I am an ordinary man. He said, yet I understand the power of authority. That's what the... The, the centurion is saying in the Passion translation render, you see it on the screen, and I see that authority operating. I see that authority operating through you. He's saying to Jesus, "He said, I have soldiers under me who obey everything I command." Notice what he says next. I also have authorities over me whom I likewise obey. So, Master, just speak the word, and healing will flow. <laughs> just speak the word, and healing will flow. He tells you, in other words, the flow of healing is as easy as speaking it. It's as easy as saying it, but saying it with an understanding of authority. Because that was what this guy had here. He understood authority. He understood authority. In the Weimar's translation, he said, for I too am a man obedient to authority. Look at that. I too am a man obedient to authority, and I have soldiers under me. So you see those two dimensions of authority. You are submitted to it, and you can then wield it. And I said to one, go, and he goes to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this or that, and he does it. So you must submit your authority to wield authority. The Lord Jesus also shows us an example of how to wield authority. Matthew, the ninth chapter, and we're reading from verse one to six. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy. Palsy means lame, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it's easier to say, whether it's easier to say. In other words, he's now comparing two easy things. He's saying that the forgiveness is easy, so is the healing. So he's saying, which of those two is easier? So when you say, which of those two is easier, you are simply saying, the two are easy. The two are easy. What two things? He said to him, your sins are forgiven, pick up your bed and go home. So there is healing, there is forgiveness. Jesus says, both are as easy as saying it. So he's asking them, which of the two do you think is easier? Because obviously these guys don't even know how easy it is. They don't know how easy it is for sins to be forgiven. Here again, Jesus is showing us the forgiveness of sins that he procla- or procured in his redemptive work will now be as a matter of confession. Oh, come on now, that flew over your head. He's saying that the forgiveness of sins that he has obtained or that he will at this point procure for us in redemption will be as easy as your confession of it. How does a man get forgiven? He confesses it. He confesses it. A man shall believe in his heart unto righteousness. Romans ten ten. For with the heart a man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. To be righteous means to have no record of sin or guilt to your name. It means to be forgiven absolutely, with all your sins blotted out. Righteousness is a judicial declaration that says concerning a man not guilty. And not only does he say not guilty, he blots out all the records of your sins. Oh, glory to God. David knew that if you were if David was here and he saw the way you responded, now he would shake his head and say, These guys don't understand. Because in the book of Psalms, chapter 32, David said, Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man against whom God will not impute sin. That man is blessed. I'm that blessed man. Woohoo! that blessing is more than money it's more than a car it's more than a house to be forgiven of all your sins he said uh, their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more somebody say no more, no more. say it again say no more no. say it again say no more no. God is not counting sin against you beloved and you've got to know that God is not counting sin against you today he will not count it tomorrow he will not count it ever Oh, some of you didn't hear me. I said, God is not counting sin against you today. He's not counting sin against you tomorrow. He will not count it ever. (laughs) So you can walk towards God boldly. You can speak freely before your father. When the devil is trying to remind you of your past, you tell him about his future. And you tell that devil to shut his mouth because there is no record of sin against you. For there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death is that you he's talking about give God a shout of praise (laughs) we see that glory to God and so he's saying to them which is easier to see Verse 3. And behold, verse 5. For when it's easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and walk. So Jesus is telling them, do still things here. And you notice, you see the same in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord. Do you see, Oh, my soul, forget not his benefits. He who forgiveth thine iniquities and healeth all thine diseases. He does both. He forgives and he heals. Oh, hallelujah. He forgives and he heals and guess how he does it he doesn't wait for you to clean up your mess before he heals you he will heal you so that you can be healthy enough to correct yourself because in James 5 the 15th verse he said and the prayer of faith shall save souls heal make whole men put together the sick and the Lord shall raise him up then he now said if he has committed any sin they shall be forgiven him So God says Sin may cause sickness But sin cannot stop healing So that even if you fell sick By reason of a sin you committed God is saying I will still heal you I will still heal you Because healing is a demonstration Of the mercy of God Is God condoning sin by doing that? No! It is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. A dead man cannot repent. It is a man who is still alive that can repent. You need to understand how precious your soul is to God. that God will look at a man who is in sin and has fallen into sickness because of his sin. And God said, what matters to me the most at this point? Is not even the sin he committed. His life is more higher. His life is more precious to me. See, listen, God is more concerned about your life than his principle. didn't hear what i said oh oh you didn't hear me i said god is more concerned about your life than his principle that is why he will take on your human flesh in order to pay for your sins because he loves you more than his justice oh my god god is more concerned about showing love to you than showing that he is right As a matter of fact His righteousness Is in the demonstration Of how He came down To your level And cleaned up your mess (laughs) What a God What a God of mercy Known in Ephesians 2 Paul says But God Who is rich in mercy But God Who is rich in mercy Because of His great love Wherewith He had loved us When we were dead In trespasses He didn't love us When we cleaned up he loved us in our messed up states. Romans 5 8, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, God loves you. I am the beloved of God. <laughs> if I, if I, you know, carry yourself. You see how I'm, I'm comporting myself. I'm the beloved of God. Oh, like, walk like it. Come on now. Take, take three steps. Hey, beloved. <laughs> hey, hey. Ha ha ni Jesu fe, Ferro, Jenny, carry long. <speaking> Ura <in the> miquata, lo oi, guo, jeejee. Ayo, Igala, miwa, deep, poor, el peter. Darling Jesus, darling Jesus. Oh, my darling Jesus, you're a wonderful God. I love, I love you, you so much, darling, darling Jesus. Oh my darling Jesus. You're a wonderful God. See that? Do you believe it? <laughs> this this love is more than feelings. It can bring feelings, but it's more than feelings. We've got to know it. You got to believe it. First John 4 16, we have known believe the love that God has toward us he says God is love we know the love of God Ephesians 3 Paul says and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge it passes scientific discovery it is a revelation a love proven already a love proven by death say so for scarcely will any man die for a good person He says, but God commended his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't just stand with us in our mess. That would have been good enough. He said, I'm not just going to come to identify with you in your mess. I will take responsibility for the penalty. You don't have to die for your sins. I'll die for your sins. That's what he did. He died not just for me. He died as me before the eyes of justice i already died for my sins because jesus took in my place he stood in my behalf he said the death he was supposed to die how die that death therefore let him go free (laughs) that is the declaration of righteousness let him go free let him go free don't touch him anymore don't punish him anymore i have been punished for his sake I have been punished for his sin. I have taken his punishment for he was bruised for iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was placed upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Aye, 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 aye. <laughs> Woo! That is why no religion can boast of a savior like our savior. No religion can boast of a savior like our savior. He says to the uttermost, he says to the very end. He says to the very end. This is why we dance. This is why we shout. <laughs> this is the source of our joy. We are not amongst those who are wondering, are they going to be rapturable? Oh no. No, <laughs> hey! I know it. <laughs> and some may even ask, are you all saying you are perfect? Oh no, we are not saying so. So if you are not perfect in your imperfect state, if the trumpet sound what will happen? Will we will hear it. Higher <laughs> Hey, we will hear it. And we shall be caught up. And we shall be changed. <laughs> you know why? Because the guarantee of it is inside us already. He is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost in you is the guarantee of you being raptured, And it is in me now. He is in me as my comforter. He is in me as my standby. He is in me as my counselor. He is in me as my strengthener. He is in me as my advocate. Glory to God. Woo. If I look for three persons, give them a high five. Say, I'm rapturable, brother. I'm rapturable, brother. Don't worry about that. I'm rapturable already. Be <laughs> Hallelujah. My God. My God. <laughs> that was the same thing Peter preached in the house of Cornelius, Acts 10.43. He said to him, Gave all the prophets witness that whosoever believeth in him will receive remission of sins. And that was what he commanded us to preach in Luke chapter 24 and verse 47. He said that repentance and remission of sins will be preached in his name among every nation. Forgiveness, therefore, Jesus is saying, is going to be received by saying it. It's going to be given by saying it. We preach the remission. Remission means the forgiveness of sins. It is to be preached. In the preaching of it, it is offered. In the believing and confession of it, it is received. And Jesus began to show them the foretaste of it. Right from here in Matthew chapter 9. He says to them, verse 5, For whether it is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee. (laughs) And that's how we keep saying it everywhere today. But we preach the gospel. We are offering men forgiveness of sins. Because it comes by saying it. After Jesus has already done it. You see it's so easy. He did the work and he has sent us to say it. To proclaim what he has done. And the Bible tells us in verse 6. he says, but that ye may know that the son of man hath power. And that's exousia, authority. On earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy. Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. We see Jesus here releasing authority through words. Through words. In Mark, the second chapter, you are going to see that same story. You also see it in Luke chapter 5. Mark chapter, chapter 2, verse 8 to 12. You can read it at home. Luke chapter 5, verse 20, to verse 26. To verse 26. So you can read it at home. Now, you're going to understand, therefore, that if authority is released by words, then silence is unaffordable. If authority is released by words, then it means that silence is unaffordable. Silence is unaffordable. You can't afford to be silent. You can't afford to be silent. Silence is a mark of death. Silence is for the dead. Sound is for the living. Whatever has life makes sound. When it is dead, it becomes silent. But if it has life, sounds will come out from it, words will come out of it. That's why when the baby is born, we just named one this morning a blessed baby boy. Hallelujah. You see, when a baby is born, one of the things they are looking for is the cry. Of the babies, if a baby doesn't cry at birth, it's trouble. It's a bad sign. In fact, midwives will spank the baby so that the baby makes sound. Because everything that has life must give sound. The generating set that is powering this place—if you go near it, you will hear sound from it. If it can give life, it must have sound coming from it. And that is the way it is with you, beloved. If the devil drags you and forces you into silence, he's killing you already. And when I say silence, I'm not talking about just talking. Anyhow, like I told you, words are not primarily for conversation. So you can be having conversations, yet you are still silent spiritually. To be silent spiritually is to not issue words of authority. To be silent spiritually is to not issue words of authority. For example, when you are praying you are making judicial decrees. Prayer is how you release authority. When you are making faith declarations, you are releasing authority. It means if you are not praying, if you are not making faith declarations, you are silent. You may be having all other kinds of conversations, but if you are not praying, in the name of the Lord Jesus, if you are not making faith declarations, you are silent. You see here in Hosea chapter 4, And I want to call your attention to Hosea chapter 4 and the 6th verse. Hosea chapter 4 and the 6th verse. And you're going to see how the Bible tells us there that the people are destroyed. Why are they destroyed? For lack of knowledge. For lack of knowledge. This lack of knowledge is in two ways. Number one, ignorance. Number two, negligence. Ignorance of the truth. The negligence of the truth. Ignorance of the truth and negligence of the truth because here in Hosea 4.6 he says because thou hast rejected knowledge I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God I will also forget thy children so notice that this is willful neglect willful disinclination from the truth when you see a Christian who doesn't treat the study of the word the teaching of the word the reading of the word with importance is rejecting knowledge. And what's going to happen to him? This word destroyed here, don't think of it as you understand destroyed in the English language. In the Hebrew, the word destroyed here actually means to go into silence. It means to go into silence. Because the words by which authority is released are the words of God. Not just any kind of word you feel like saying. They are the words from the mouth of God that you now speak. That is how you release authority. That is what we do in prayer. That is what we do in our faith declarations. We don't just say what we wish. We don't just say what we like. We say what the word says. Because God is the one who confides his authority on us. The authority of God works with the word of God. The authority of God doesn't work with what you feel like. The authority of God works with his word. So we take God's word and put it on our lips and say it and then things will change. And then the authority of God is released into the situation. But you cannot speak God's word when you don't know God's word. You cannot speak God's word and make it have effect. And it will have effect if you don't honor God's word. So he says, my people are destroyed, which in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word damar. And that word, again, like I told you, means to be silent. It means to be dumb. And that leads to being, into, being led into destruction. I love the way the dictionary puts it directly. It says it means to be dumb or silent. Hence, to fail or perish. In other words, that word destroyed there means a person has become silent. And by reason of the silence, the person fails and the person perishes. I say that again. The word "dama" means to be silent or to be dumb. Hence, in other words, as a result of that silence, there is failure and then ultimately destruction. And people perish. I've said it to you over and over. You see, when it comes to the law of confession, not speaking at all is as bad as saying the wrong thing. Not saying anything is as bad as saying the wrong thing. There is no room for silence In the spirit. You must be speaking. You must be speaking. You must be saying something. And glory to God. God didn't tell us to go and look for words for ourselves. He has given us words. He has given us words. When Paul listed the old armor of God. He said that you take the sword of the spirit. Which is the rhema of God. That is the word he used for the word of God there in Ephesians 6. Is Rema which means the one you say. If it is still on the pages of your Bible, it is not a weapon. When you say it, you weaponize the word of God. So you can write it down. The word of God is weaponized. When we speak it, it becomes a sword. Until you say it, it's not a sword. When you're reading it to yourself, it's nourishing you. And that's very good. As newborn babes, 1 Peter 2.2, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Peter said. In Acts 20.28, 20, Peter made it clear that the elder, Apostle Paul made it clear to the elders of the Ephesian church that you feed the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. In other words, the word of God, when you read it, when you have been taught it, it is nourishing you. So when somebody's teaching the word as I'm teaching you right now, I'm nourishing you with the word. I'm feeding you with the word. Glory to God. When you're reading the word of God, you're doing the same thing to yourself. But guess what? The moment you put the word in your mouth and you're speaking it over situations, it becomes a weapon. You weaponize the word by saying it. It becomes a weapon against the devil. It becomes a tool by which you thresh mountains. You cause the mountain to be leveled before you. And that's why the devil doesn't want you to speak God's word. Sometimes the devil is okay with you hearing it. He's okay with you reading it. But he doesn't want you ever to speak it. He doesn't want you ever to speak it. One of the major things the devil is doing to this generation is, is discouraging people. Bringing all kinds of discouragement, depression and all moods you see. That makes it difficult for you to speak when it is necessary. In prayer and in faith confession. You wake up in the morning when it's time to pray. You find yourself so moody and gloomy. You just can't speak. That is the devil. You got to shake it off yourself. You wake up in the morning. If all you can say is just a whisper. And say glory to God. Glory to God. And you know one thing I've discovered? Your spirit man knows how to find his way out. If you can just allow him by speaking some of those words quietly. Glory to God. You see, when you are saying glory to God as a whisper, your spirit man will grab it. Your spirit man will grab it. And he will use it to take your emotions out of that bad mood. Glory to God. From a whisper, it will become some louder voice. From a louder voice, eventually you find yourself shouting all over the room. Glory to God. I am who God says I am. I am above only and never beneath. I am the head and not a tail. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am from there. Some shambala here. Some Shandade here. To begin to flow. That is how to start your day. Never start your day in silence. A day started in silence is a day lost to the devil. You say, But that what happens if I've started the day in silence and it's already nine o'clock and I and I realize what you have just said? Then grab your day back from the devil. In other words, anytime you open your mouth to speak, that is when your day starts. That is when you take charge of your day. You know, that is the way God does his things. In case you have not noticed, God will never do what he has not first of all said. Never. Read all through the Bible. Everything God did in scriptures. He said it first. God can never do what he has not first said. (laughs) God will never do what he has not said. Never. Because he is bound by his words. Ha! So it means when God is speaking, He's not talking of intention. He's talking of certainty. And <laughs> you know what i saying? When God is talking to God, He's saying, this I'm telling you, I will do it. No Jupiter can stop it. Hey! And that's why you need to understand the language of authority. And you probably, if you if you move closer to me a little bit, you'd have heard me say sometimes, and I would say, even if the devil becomes twins, he can't stop this one. I'm not bragging when I talk like that. I'm talking like my papa. because his word is law he's saying what he has concluded in his heart and he says it not because it's an intention he says it because his words define his limitations oh glory to God my God God's words define his limitations therefore his words determine his realities and possibilities so it means if your possibilities are very small It's because your words are few Your words will either raise your possibilities Or bring your possibilities down And limit your possibilities in life So what are the things you want to say in life? You have to start saying it But like I told you You can't just be saying anything you like You must get the knowledge of the word What has God's word said about your life? What has the word of God said about your situations? many Christians want to pray, they are passionate about prayer but they are ignorant in prayer. To be ignorant in prayer is to pray without authority. Ay, 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 Amen. I'm preaching better than you are in men in this morning. Ay, yeah ay. Oh, I'll listen to this message myself. If I have to buy it, I buy it. My God. you know what I'm saying. If you are ignorant in prayer, you are praying without authority. Because there is no authority without knowledge. Do you notice what the centurion said in Luke 7 8? He said, I am a man under authority. He said, I know the amplifier class. I know how authority works. You must know it. There is a way it works. To be ignorant in prayer is to pray without authority. Is to pray without authority. So that silence comes as a result of ignorance or willful negligence of knowledge. There are some people being in all kinds of situations. I've been in different situations in life for myself, for people and the first thing I've learned to do in any situation is what does the Word say about it? If I don't already know what the Word says about it then I'm going to find out. So you see, don't always rush to pray about the situation. First of all, check what does the Word say. If you don't know what the Word says yet, go into the Word. There is something about every situation in God's Word. Many Christians pray without resolve because they pray without strategy. You must have strategy in prayer. Your strategy in prayer is the wisdom of God's word. Oh my. I'll say it again. Your strategy in prayer is the wisdom of God's word. That is, you go into the word of God to find God's wisdom concerning that situation. Not just what does the word say, alone, Because as you a student of the Bible and you immerse yourself in the study of the Word, in the teaching of the Word, that is you're receiving teachings of God's Word, what is happening to you is that you are not only hearing what the Word says about situations, the wisdom of God's Word is imparted into you. Let the Word of Christ, Colossians three sixteen, dwell in you richly in all what? Wisdom. So when the Word of God fills you up, it's going to release its wisdom to you. That wisdom is your strategy for prayer. In other words, it shows you sometimes what you should address. And then of course you will see literally what the word of God has said about that situation. What does it say about your healing? What does it say about your finances? What does it say about your future? What does it say about your marriage? What does it say about your kids? What does it say about your career? The world has something to say in every and for every situation of our lives. We must never be ignorant of what the word says. And I understand that our authority in prayer is the name of Jesus. So you understand, therefore, when we pray in the name of Jesus means we are praying in accordance to his word and his will by the authority as vested in us. You cannot be using authority in the name of Jesus Christ and you are trying to get it to do things that contradict his word and his will. It's not possible. Our authority in prayer is that name itself. And when I say that name, I'm not saying we say in Jesus' name only. A lot of Christians say in Jesus' name and nothing happens. And there are people who show up in a situation in the name of Jesus and everything will change. I had a story of how a particular country in Europe, I can't remember which country particularly now, and they said some group of intercessors were praying. They wanted to have, you know, they saw some things were happening and the gospel was being hindered government policies here and there and they prayed in the spirit and they realized that there was a particular principality in that city, A demon spirit now, not just a human being. And they were praying and praying and praying and they had no breakthrough for weeks. And one day in the morning, suddenly, they woke up in the morning and everything had changed. And that morning, they had not even prayed at all. And they said, they were there and were just giving thanks to God and saying, but God, it's obvious this is not as a result of our prayer. What is going on? And they said, the leader amongst them he said, he heard the Lord say to him, of course it's not your prayer. Lester Somral just came into this country now, this morning. Guess you don't know who Lester Somral is, he's going to be with the Lord now. Great man of faith. He said, God told him, Lester Somral just landed this morning. And as he entered your country, that principality ran away. You did not hear that. Of course, they confirmed it, that Lester Somral truly came to town. He didn't know what they were struggling with. But look, demons carry mark of defeat. If a man has dealt with a demon before, the next time that demon sees him, he will run. You did not hear me. See, I know some demons who know me. Timba yeah. That is why when things come against you, fight it. Don't run away. Don't be running away from the devil. Resist that devil. And fight against that devil. And how do you fight? You're not fighting physically. You use your authority. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to stop in your maneuvers. I command you to cease in your operations. Somebody say at the name. Say it again, say at the name. Come on, say it again. Say at the name. So it's not just about saying Jesus, 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 Jesus. Funny Christians who sleep at night and they say they put a Bible on, under their pillow. To ward off demons of nightmare. The demon, if you don't understand the authority in the name of Jesus, it will remove the Bible from your pillow and use it to torment you. It's a revelation. Revelation is of the heart. At the name of Jesus. And you notice in Mark chapter 16, we do many things. In fact, all the things we should do in Christ are in his name. He said, in my name, they shall cast out devils. In my name, they shall speak with new tongues. How many of you want to pray in tongues? You say, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Is that how you pray in tongues? No. We don't have to say in Jesus' name when we pray in tongues. We just pray in tongues. So it shows you what he meant when he said in my name. In my name doesn't mean you have to say Jesus in Jesus name, Jesus' name. In my name means in my authority. So every time we speak in tongues, we are exercising the authority of Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? Yeah, is it okay if we want to say in Jesus' name? Of course, why not? But saying in Jesus' name is not what makes it work. What makes it work is you are conscious that you are using his authority. In other words, you are acting in his capacity. So what does that mean? You always carry a consciousness in your heart. When Jesus cast out devils, what did the devils do in return? When he told them to leave, what did they do? They left. So it means if I act in his capacity, when I command a demon to leave, there is only one possible thing that will happen. It must leave. It means when I pray for the sick, I hold a consciousness in my spirit. When Jesus prayed for the sick, what was the re- result of his prayer? The sick were healed. So when I pray for the sick, I expect only one outcome. Healing is going to happen. That is what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. Because you are acting in the capacity. I told you last Sunday the word exusia, One of the meanings of the word exclusion is capacity. So the authority of Christ is the capacity of Jesus Christ. When there was lack staring him in the face... And he prayed for abundance. He got abundance. So when I stand in a situation where I have needs. And I pray for my needs to be met. Only one thing will happen. I will get my supply. Ah, As I told you, don't wait only for when we are in church, taking offerings to make this our declaration. Say it all the time. I still said it in the house yesterday evening. Glory to God. And I just started speaking and then mom was with me and the kids came around and said, say it along with us. Glory to God. We're getting our buildings. We're getting our lands. We're getting our houses. We're getting our vehicles. We're getting our equipment. Everything we need. And as the way I say something, Everything I need to do, everything I need to do. <laughs> and to enjoy life On a high level No more chip cheap things I do not serve El Chipo. I serve El Shaddai No more chip 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 things On a high level High level Sorry for those of you who use Samsung From Samsung to iPad High level iPad From Jinko phone to iPhone From Tokumbo cars to brand new From tenant level to landlord Yay Let me use some authority here Some of you this year We will dedicate your house I said we will dedicate your own house We will dedicate your own house We will dedicate your own house we will dedicate your own house. Learn to use the authority of Jesus for things that are obviously beyond your natural ability. That's why authority means capacity. I am not the one that will build house for you. So I'm not afraid to tell you what this capacity can do for you. This year, we will dedicate your house. You know, come meeting 2020, I made this declaration. One of my sons from Abuja, who pastors in Abuja, he came for camp meeting last year, 2021. In one year, he got married in 2020. In one year, God gave him a house. He and his wife. During camp meeting last year, they came to mom and I and told us, mom that we're about to finish it, and we are working to make sure that it's ready so that we can move in before Christmas. They did. He said that we took the word you gave at the camp meeting. Let me give it to you one more time. This year we will dedicate your house. <laughs> I command the angels of this anointing to go now and bring these words to pass. Everything that needs to align, I command them to align. Everything that needs to be in place, I command it to be in place. In the name of Jesus. In Ezekiel 37, God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones leave? And he said, God, down knoweth. That was Ezekiel is saying This is beyond what human beings can put together But you God can do all things And God said to him This is the way it's going to happen Release words Release words Tell the bones to live Live how it's going to happen to me Ezekiel only spoke words Next thing Bone came to bone Marrow came to marrow Sinew upon sinew Flesh came upon flesh And the dry bones became a mighty army And I want to prophesy to somebody today Whatever needs to come together The money, the contracts, the deals, the favor Hey, whatever needs to come together I command it to begin to come together right now This year we will dedicate your house This year we will dedicate your house This year we will dedicate your house In the name of Jesus The Lord is lifting you up God is lifting you up God is lifting you up God is lifting lifting. My God will elevate you. My God will promote you. My God will elevate you. My God will promote you. In the name of Jesus. Oh, give God thanks for it right now. Give Him thanks. Give Him thanks. Oh, give Him thanks. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you praise. We give you glory, Lord we give you glory Lord in John 16 24 he said either to have you asked nothing in my name ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full in my name so he's not like what he's saying there's a difference between when you ask in my name and when you ask on your own in John 16 26 at that day ye shall ask in my name and I say not unto you that I will pray the father for you he says but in that day you shall ask in my name of course that day he's talking about is the day we are in now is the day post-resurrection. That day is the reality of redemption. And we live in that day. John 14, 13, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The Father is glorified whenever we use his authority. In John 14, 14, If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. The early church prayed in the name of Jesus. In Acts 4, 29-31, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants, that with all boldness they may speak thy word. By stretching forth thy hand to heal And that signs and wonders may be done In the name of thy holy child Jesus And when they had prayed The place was shaking Where they were assembled together And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost And they spoke the word of God with boldness And guess what was the result of their prayer They asked that God would grant signs and wonders In the name of his holy child Jesus verse And with great power gave the apostles Witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace Was upon them They prayed that in the name of Jesus, signs be done. And signs were done. Because what you ask in the name will be granted. And we've seen it also in James chapter 5, verse 14 to 15. Is any sick among you? The early church prayed. And we see that the church continuously practiced that. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And he says the result, verse 15, is that the prayer of faith shall save the sick. In other words, that prayer that they pray in the name of the Lord will save the sick. So it is a practice of believers to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. I close with this this morning, Psalm 149, verse 5 to 9. You're going to see that we execute judgment in prayer. When we use our authority in prayer, we are executing judgment. Ay, ay, ay. And this morning... I'm going to give you about 5 to 10 minutes to execute some judgment in prayer. You'll notice in Psalm 149, verse 5 to 9, let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Did you see what I told you earlier on? When you wake up in the morning, make sound. Let them make, look at that. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. but i would say, when you wake up in the morning, raise a song. Lord, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning, I will learn to walk in your way. Almighty, my Almighty, Lord, my. Somebody Almighty, early in the morning, early. sing loud upon their beds. Aloud upon their beds. I remember those days growing up in Reverend Chapel. Remember, George used to tell us about the brother that he was so consistent with singing and prayer early in the morning to the point that people who used to set alarm to remind them to wake up early enough for work. They didn't need the alarm anymore. His voice was the alarm. Because every day once it is 4.45 45. Glory to God! Glory to God! And so people didn't rely on their wristwatch again, on their their alarm anymore. So when they heard, Glory to God! They say it's 4.45. Brother Charles has come again. Higher! Early in the morning. And you will see why it's important. Because it is by that that you set the tone to exercise your dominion for that day. So let... The high praises, verse 6 Of God be in their mouth And a 2 exhort sword in their hand hey, yeah. To execute vengeance upon the heathen And punishment upon the people To bind their kings with chains And their nobles with fetters of iron Verse 9 is where we are going To execute upon them the judgment written This honor have all his saints Praise ye the Lord Notice it isn't say this honor has the five-fold ministry. It isn't this honor has the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. No, he said this honor hath all he said. Are you a saint of God? You have this honor. Use your honor. Wake up in the day, start with praises. Give glory to God. But don't stop there. Take the word of God, put it in your mouth and execute upon them them who execute judgment upon your situation execute the judgment written upon your day judgment means to make a ruling judgment means to determine what must happen so when I begin to speak in the morning I'm saying today this is what is going to happen anything contrary to this word is not allowed no sadness today no depression today no failure today in my pathway is life, and there is no death. I'm blessed going out, I'm blessed coming in. Did you notice? He says, You execute the judgment that is written. A judgment that is written has no power until it is spoken. <laughs> Ooh, you should listen to this teaching again and again. Judgment written can do nothing. It has to be spoken. It has to be enforced. In prayer, we execute judgment. Elijah was a man subject to like passion, just as we are. And he prayed that there be no rain and there was no rain you read it in the uh, book of James chapter 5 verse 17 and you're thinking in your mind that Elijah just woke up one day because he felt angry and he felt just you know like I'm just in a bad mood today so what can I do what can I do what can I do what can I do and he looked at the uh, he looked at the sea he said no no I don't want to talk to that one uh, he looked at the land he said I don't want to talk to that one and then he just said what can I do what can I do he looked up and he said okay let there be no rain no that's not why the prayer of Elijah was an execution of something Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 28. The people had sinned against God. And Moses had written in Deuteronomy chapter 28. I'll show you now. Are you ready to see this? This week is time for judgment to be executed. Notice the Lord shall send upon them, not thee. Because this was too heavy. Deuteronomy 28:20 20 to 24 cursing, vexation and rebuke in order that they set their hand unto for to do until they be destroyed and until they perish quickly because of the wickedness of their doings whereby they are forsaking the Lord and their, their heaven over their head shall be brass and their earth that is under them shall be iron that's the meaning of famine in other words when the heavens become brass it means no rain is coming from it. In other words, the evil becomes like a cosmetic thing. It's no longer functional. And the earth becomes like iron. Not fruitful. Sterile. Because there's no rain. So he says in verse 23, verse 24, The Lord shall make the rain of their land, powder, and dust. From heaven shall it come down upon them until they be destroyed. And guess who caused it? Ahab had sin. 1 Kings 16, 29-33 And in the 30 and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah Began Ahab the son of Omri To reign over Israel And Ahab the son of Omri Reigned over Israel in Samaria Twenty and two years And Ahab the son of Omri died, Did evil in the sight of the Lord Above all that were before him And it came to pass As if it had not been a light thing For him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam The son of Nebat That he took to wife Jezebel The daughter of Edbaal Wait, in February We're going to be running a teaching series On relationships Marital relationships premarital relationships called getting it right the doom of Ahab was in marrying Jezebel you marry a Jezebel or you marry a Nabal, a fool and they will mess up your life you'll get there don't worry I preached a message many years ago how not to marry an idiot the first thing in that teaching is number one way not to marry an idiot is don't be an idiot because like attracts like if you don't want to marry an idiot don't be a buffoon tell them say don't be a buffoon and so you see this man married Jezebel and he did all these things so when Elijah went to pray he was executing the judgment that was already written Elijah was not in Christ you are in Christ If he could execute a judgment written by Moses, you can do better than that. I'll give you one more example. Remember standing. I like the way you're standing. Daniel. Daniel chapter 9 verse 2. Oh, thank you Lord. In the first year of his reign, I Daniel understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. You know what word he was referring to? The word he was referring to is in your Bible, Jeremiah 29, verse 10. Just a verse before the one you commonly quote Jeremiah 29:11. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, they are thoughts of peace and not of evil. Just before that, Jeremiah said something, for thus said the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place for I know the thoughts that I think towards you they had accomplished 70 years in bondage and they were still in bondage so Daniel 92 Daniel took the book where Jeremiah's prophecy was recorded that God had said this captivity is supposed to last for only 70 years and not more but notice even though God said so it was already expanding beyond 70 years because prophecy cannot fulfill itself the man to whom the prophecy was given the woman to whom the prophecy was given must take it and make war with it First Timothy 1:18. this child give I thee Timothy my son that thou by the prophecy that has come ahead of you may war a good warfare I told you earlier on when the word is spoken it becomes weaponized ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I feel the power of God Yeah. when the word is spoken it becomes weaponized you don't write down prophecy just to read it you write down prophecy to say it to release it and unleash against the devil he said there is no sickness allowed in my body. Therefore, what are you still waiting for? Sickness. Die. That's how to get healed. You don't just write it down and be romancing your notes. You don't get healed. That's how to die. That's not how to release the word and see it happen. So it is no strange thing when your situation seems to be contradicting your prophecy. What, whenever you see a contradiction in your situation, Against what the word of God has said, it means you have an enemy waiting to be destroyed. And what you simply do is take that word, put it on your mouth, look at that situation, and say, You, this is what the word says. I command you to change. A couple gave birth recently. About a week before they gave birth, they went to the hospital. They said the baby was not in the right position. I told them, Go and speak to your baby. Because in Ephesians, he said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. He didn't specify whether it's children in the womb or children outside. Children generally. Tell your baby to turn. And they went to Baby, turn. The baby turned. The baby has to turn. They are not the first couple to do it. Over the years, I've asked many people to do so. Tell the baby to turn. Your baby can hear. All things can hear the word. Don't forget, everything came from the word. Therefore, everything responds to the word. All things respond to a source. Why is money giving you a problem? Command the money to come. How can you be going to work and you are not getting profit? When the word of God says in all labor, there is profit. It's an aberration waiting for you to correct it. You execute the judgment. And let me tell you, when you release the words, angels respond. Higher angels respond because when Daniel began to pray about this matter in Daniel 9 13, as it is as it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Glory to God. When you read further down, the Bible tells us to save our time here. The angel of the Lord came to him and said to him, Daniel, a man beloved of God. From the first day you began to pray, your voice was heard, and I am come for your words. The angel doesn't come for your tears. The angel doesn't come for your emotions. The angels respond to your words. Daniel was sad, but the angel didn't come for his sadness. Daniel was down in his feelings, but the angel didn't come for his feelings. He had to speak words. The angel said, I came for your words. I'm not saying you can't cry if you want to cry, if your situation is so bad, cry. But understand, your tears are not going to move anything in the heavens. Your tears will move nothing in the earth. What moves things are your words. You've got to say something in prayer. And don't just say anything. Say what is written. When you say what is written, angels move. Guess what? Demons move out of the way. When you say something, I'll give you five minutes this morning. It's time to say something. What is it that you are trusting God for in your life? What is that area of contradiction in your life? Execute some judgment today. i give you five minutes. This is not a time to be bothered about what anybody is thinking. Oh, this is a time to get mad at the devil. This is a time to take your authority. This is a time to exercise your dominion. This is a time to use the name of Jesus. This is a time... To enforce what has been written. Is there sickness in your body? It's time for you to stand on the word and say no more in the name of Jesus. Is there that affliction that is troubling you? You cannot explain the reason why there is misfortune in your life. Speak the word in prayer. Release the authority. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus said, Whatsoever things you desire in prayer, believe you receive them. And you shall have them. Notice, he didn't say you might. He said, you shall have them. You shall have them. I'll give you the next one minute to give God praise. Over what you have prayed about. Give God praise. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Say after say, I am a believer. a believer. I am not a doubter. Say, again, say, I am a believer. a believer. I am not a doubter. Not a doubter. See, Therefore, Therefore, I receive, I receive everything, everything that I have prayed about, pray about in, the in the name of Jesus. I release angels now. Say, again, say, I release angels now I to, sing to sing angels go, now, go now, now and bring these words to pass. In the name of Jesus, can you shout amen, someone? Hallelujah. This message was brought to you from the Heritage of Faith Church. Our vision is raising stronger believers. For more impactful resources, visit our website at www.hofng.org. God bless you.